Welcome to the next track. A podcast about how people listen to music today. I'm Doug Adams. And I'm Kirk McElhern. We self-produce the Next Track podcast and want to keep it ad-free, so we rely on contributions from listeners for support. You can help us by making a regular donation via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash the next track. And thanks. A couple of days ago, you told me that you were kind of in, in the mood to cull your music library. And I know what that means, but what does call mean? I purposely did not look up the word call because, first of all, it's, a, it's an enchanting little word. And I'm wondering why you only rarely hear it. You, you only hear it, well, when you're calling your library. Like, where do you really call? What's the, what's the native place that you call something? Well, you call a herd. A her- so animals are called... Right. So here they have badger culls because there are too many badgers. Ah, so you, right? there's an over, there's too many badgers, and so you cull them. Exactly. Now, where does this word come from? I'm guessing Latin. It's go Latin to England. Because so you're going to make like, me look this up live on the radio here. Yeah, yeah, because this is, you, you would do it anyway. It comes from collegiary in Latin, qualier in Old French, English collect, and then to cull. Mm. Gather into one place or group. The Old French was collect. So it sounds, it sounds more like you're taking things and putting them in like a place as opposed to removing them. When they talk about culling a herd, we're talking about re- killing animals, quite simply. Is it literally, so it doesn't mean just separating. Apparently, culling means to separate Somehow or another. Right. D- d- but when, d- they cull, when they cull animals, they, they kill them. In fact, here's Wikipedia. For livestock and wildlife, culling often refers to the act of killing removed animals based on their individual characteristics, such as sex or species membership, or as a means of preventing infectious disease transmission. And as I mentioned to you before we started recording, we have avian flu in my area, so they may end up culling chickens because... If they're infected, they don't want them to infect anyone else. Right. So you were ahead of the game when you started culling your music <laughs> library. <laughs> well, culling my library is something I've done from time to time. Haven't you... Well, see, you worked in radio, so it's different. Everything has to be available and everything's always organized. But I've always known people with big music libraries back in the day, vinyl, who would every now and then change the way they organize their library. Yeah. And they would cull some of the stuff they don't listen to and go sell it to a used record store. Right. right. This would be a way of refreshing your collection, refreshing the way you look at it, but also getting rid of the things that you don't need to have anymore. I suppose so. I guess I've been doing that um, on and off. I think everybody does that um, to some extent, because especially if you're like us and you buy a lot of music and you accumulate a lot of music, there does tend, even if you loved it when you came home with it, it could be sitting there on the floor and going, you know, that was great that first time. So there's a lot of cruft that can, I suppose, develop. Cruft, yes. Yeah. We call oh, cruft. Oh, call the cruft. That's the name of our new yes. band, Call Cruft. We're going to do heavy metal progress. <laughs> That's going to be the name of the episode, Colin Cruft. <laughs> oh, we should change our names to Colin Cruft. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we're, we're straying here. Okay, but, I'm sorry. So for me, for me, I came to a realization a couple of weeks ago. I just updated my Take Control of macOS Media Apps book. And every time I do this, I go through everything. I look at everything I've described and look at the music app and the TV app and everything. And at one point, I say, you know, I talk about my music library. I've got a library of about 70,000 tracks. And I'm thinking, that's just way too many. 
On top of that, I have a second library with almost as much of things that have already been culled. And I was thinking, there's so much stuff, and as we've talked about with the streaming services, there's so much stuff you just can't choose very easily. And I went through and looked, and, and yes, I've got 15 recordings of Box Goldberg variations, and I do want to listen to one every now and then because they're different performances. But there's other things where I have multiple recordings or there's composers where I've bought a box set and, and ripped a bunch of stuff, but really only like a few things and probably already sold the box set anyway. And I, all those operas by Berlioz, I went through a phase where I listened to Berlioz's operas and I haven't listened to any in years. So I can just move them out of my library so they're not in the way. So this is like a hundred year culling. <laughs> it's like well, This is like a d decimal culling. Right. You don't mind this stuff week after week after week, but after two, three, four years, it's sort yeah. of like this was valuable at one point and you want to get rid of it. It's also I'm rethinking the concept of what is a music library. Is it a library? Is it just everything is there and you've got your Dewey Decimal numbers, which is tags, genres, et cetera? Or is it something that's more... I don't like the word curated unless it's for an exhibit, but you know what I mean? More carefully selected. Yeah. Because I was almost thinking, why do I have one monolithic music library when there are so many different styles of music I listen to? I've been reading a book about John Cage recently. So I've been listening to a lot of music by John Cage, Morton Feldman. And there's a, think of it as a Venn diagram, right? And, and you've got the, the John Cage, Morton Feldman, American avant-garde, et cetera. And that all lumps together. It kind of overlaps with the Steve Reich, Philip Glass, Terry Riley minimalism, but it's not the same. But I could put those two circles in the same library. But then if I'm listening to a Gang of Four album or Pink Floyd or some Shakuhachi music, th these are way off on the side. And I was almost thinking, shouldn't I have separate libraries for the different types of music? Now, I wouldn't want to have actual libraries where I'd have to open the music app and choose a library, which you can do, but it, it's annoying. And I was actually thinking making smart playlists and putting something in the comments field for each type of library. So I would view a smart playlist with the column browser and I would only see what I've selected in that curated library. Does that make sense? It, it does. And it's funny, we've talked about this in the past. And I think when we were talking about genres, and I think what I said at the time was like, there's only four genres. There's like folk, classical, jazz, rock. It's like you can fit everything into those four things, or at least at my house. And the reason I can say that is because when I was in college, that's how the college for radio stations library was set up. There was a separate section of folk music, separate section for jazz, classical, and rock. And there were uh, people in charge of those libraries, a music, rock music director, folk music director, that kind of thing. So I've always seen it as like, you know, those are essentially the four essential uh, areas where you have the music. and But you could do that. I mean, you could, but you you are dividing them by genre. That's, you, you're saying, I'm going to buy this, this lack from Ikea has my jazz records, and this lack has the classical music, and this has the Berlioz operas. And I mean, you could subdivide it that way. Okay, so I, I'm not totally obsessive, but I do make sure my music is tagged in certain ways. So yeah. in, in I, I have a number of genres that start with classical colon. So I have 
classical chamber music, classical early music, classical keyboard, classical opera, et cetera, et cetera. So I've subdivided my classical because, hey, I want to listen to some piano music. Boom, go right into that and see which composers and choose something. But there are other areas like where does John Cage fit? I don't really have an avant-garde genre. I, I tend to group it under minimalist, which actually is shorthand for me because minimalism is more Steve Reich, Philip Glass, and arguably Morton Feldman, a different kind of minimalism. So I kind of group them together, even though that's not what they would be called. And it just makes me think that, like, I would like to have, hey, where's my John Cage piano music? Right? Instead of sifting through albums, and I have a lot of John Cage recordings. So instead of sifting through albums, what if I had a library, so a top-level genre with sub-level genres for things like that? I mean, the problem is, as you know, when you go to rearrange a library, you can spend far more time rearranging the library and figuring out a system to rearrange it than the time you're actually going to spend listening to music. Well, for some people, that's the whole point of having the library yes. is doing yes. the housekeeping rather than the yes. listening. So, yeah. but I can under and I understand that completely. Um, you know, but it's funny. I, I, um, I don't know if I would. Uh, I, I search for things by artist or album, so the genre doesn't make that much difference. But I can, I can see it for classical music and jazz too. That you need to kind of zero in. You need to have that hierarchy where it's like you've got to start with the composer. Then, well, what kind of piece is it? Is it being played by an orchestra? Is it being played by a soloist? Where do you find it? So. Uh, I can see how you'd want to, you might appear more obsessive, but really it's a matter of being able to find things quick so you have more listening time. Yeah, so as far as rock's concerned, I have an alternative genre, which is kind of to lump things together that just don't fit in rock, but I don't even have a punk genre. So The Clash and, and Gang of Four, they're in rock, but they don't belong in rock. That's not their place. I have a pop genre, which is just The Beatles, so why even bother them? Because they don't have any other pop music that, you know, where would you put the Beatles otherwise? It's funny you mentioned the Beatles. Oh, well, we're talking about, I, I wanted to mention this because you mentioned the Beatles and we mentioned the Beatles a lot and kind of tiresome to mention them all the time, but there they are. <laughs> um, when I thought that I might have to rebuild my library, whether it's CDs or files, the first album I think of is I better make sure to get Sgt. Pepper. And I'm not yeah. even a big fan of the record. Yeah. But I, for some reason, it's like that's the first thing I think of that I've got to have. Now, I wish I knew why that was. Because, I, like I said, I'm not a big fan of it. I like listening to it, but it's not my favorite album. I certainly wouldn't take it with me on a desert island. Mm, well, we did a desert island episode a while ago. I'll link in the show notes. I don't, I don't think either of us picked a Beatles album. But if you had 100 albums to take, you'd want to have one Beatles album? Oh, well, yeah. Okay, yes. Yeah, absolutely. See, when you say 100 albums, yeah, boom. But 10's not much. I'm trying to. Th I'm, I'm looking at my rock genre, and I'm trying to think what would be my foundational rock album. Because for me, The Grateful Dead is in its own genre, right? I have I have a genre dead, and that's totally different. So I wouldn't pick something like this. And as I look through, is it something like London Calling? Is it something like Pink Floyd? You know, Wish You Were Here, or. Is it public image? It's Rolling Stones. That's Let It Bleed. That would be my. Yep. That would be my but first album. Let okay, it bleed. That, but that's one. Yeah. But if you're going to say, okay, that's the, maybe that's a cornerstone yeah. or something. But certainly, all the bands you mentioned, Pink Floyd, Rolling Stones, Clash, uh, Clash, all of that that stuff. 
that's the foundation. Everything else is kind of fluffy on top of that. It's like, it just kind of stacks up on top of all of those things. Yeah. And, and those things become optional. You don't need to own those, but the closer to the foundation, those are the ones I need to own. See, now we're getting to the interesting point because we don't need to own anything anymore since we can stream it. And so this is another thing. Do see Now, my main library on my iMac with this now 58,000 tracks after I've culled 10,000 or whatever, it's not connected to Apple Music. It's not linked in the cloud. It's not syncing. So while I can play Apple Music, none of the stuff in my Apple Music library is in that library. But there's a lot of stuff in this library that's in my Apple Music library, which I manage on my laptop, which I access on my iPads and my iPhone. So there's also that dichotomy of the one library that I don't want Apple to touch because they're going to screw up the metadata. And the other library where I've copied some music over or others I've added from Apple Music, which is half the size, 30,000, which is a lot more concentrated. But the problem with the Apple Music library is you cannot search by genre because there's probably 150 genres in there, things that I would never choose. And if you change them, they get changed back. Yes, that's true. That's true. And also the, the thing I like about the streaming is that it makes it possible not to own a lot of music. Yes. Which is something that I did not appreciate early on. I thought, like a lot of people, I thought, you know, I'm, I'll be renting music. I won't get to own it. But then I realized, but I don't need to own. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 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 I'm trying to think of something that I don't need to own. Any Dark electric Side of the light moon. orchestra album. Yeah. Any electric light orchestra. But if I wanted to hear one, I could definitely, I could very quickly and easily, just as easily as I could access any of my own purchase music, I could just as easily listen to anything. As long as you keep paying the 10 bucks a month. Yeah. And I don't mind that. That's not, that's yeah. totally worth it. So I'm just looking on my iPhone at the genres in my music library from Apple Music. And already you've got adult alternative, alternative, and alternative folk. Yeah. I mean, WTF, right? Adult Alternative is one Daniel Lanois album. Alternative is a bunch of stuff. Anything from Harold Budd, A Certain Ratio, Rudy Column, Iron and Wine. Some of these things I would put in Alternative, but I certainly wouldn't put Harold Budd there. It's more ambient. And then if I go to Alternative Folk, then there's just one album, the BBC Peel Sessions with Nico. How does that get... Who? who oh, that's Alternative Folk. <laughs> who from Apple decided that, Right. I have blues, blues rock, and acoustic blues. Who decided that, right? Acoustic blues, just one Gary Davis album. But if I go just to blues, there's a bunch of other Gary Davis albums, along with Hot Tuna, Yorma Kalkinen, etc. British Invasion. I mean, seriously? Scott Walker. So I don't even know why this must be in a playlist. Scott Walker. I, don't even, I know he died recently, but I don't know who he is. So my, my point is that there is such a... You can't trust Apple for this kind of stuff. And if you depend on genres, it's useless, which makes it really hard to find anything. And that's the whole point of, like, if I could segregate all of that stuff some way into a library that I could navigate, but you can't navigate the same on an iPhone or an iPad. So basically, you have to know what you want to listen to rather than flip through to find something. That's just what I was going to say. It's like, what would you do if we still had record stores? How would you find what you were looking for without asking the guy? You know, you'd have to root around. You'd have to be walking around through the aisles and the bins 
to find what you're looking for because they certainly didn't organize it past classical. Maybe they did piano music. Maybe they did solo music separately, orchestral music. But I mean, that seems to me about as far as any record store would go. So you'd have to be sitting there in the bin looking through your stuff. Yeah, I, I remember in French record stores, there was a period, the late 80s, that they started with a genre that they were calling musique nouvelle, new music. And, and new music is a term in sort of sort of classical music, right? Timo Andrus, who's been on our show, his stuff you could fit as new music because it's not really classical music. Contemporary, classical, that kind of thing. So that would have stuff like Arvo Pert, like Harold Budd, that kind of stuff. That, and it, it kind of made sense. But otherwise, you'd have classical, you'd have opera, you'd have rock, punk, folk, disco, jazz... You wouldn't have separations of different types of jazz. You might have jazz vocals separate from instrumental jazz. That's a possibility. But again, my thought is, do I want to create some sort of a library by, I don't want to say mood, by my perception of what music goes together, right? I, I could make a playlist with some John Cage, Morton Feldman, Harold Budd, Brian Eno. They would fit together. But I could also make a playlist with Brian Eno, Roxy Music, Talking Heads, they go together. Not all of Brian Eno's albums fit. Uh, not a good example because he does have such a wide range of music from ambient to you know rock oriented. But it's less. An artist is not necessarily something that fits in a genre. It's the artist's music that fits in a genre. Most artists, yes, right. They they are pretty strict yeah. in one genre. But there well, are some... Right, because that's the way the commerce works. It's like, make a record like you made the last time. Yeah, but there are some the, artists where that's not the case. Yes. Oh, absolutely. Well, Brian Eno. Yeah, yeah. So the the thing is, it just seems like it would be extremely taxing to try and come up with a, a codification for... You, you want a personal music genome, but you would have to do it yourself, and it's too much trouble. You would like to have... I'd like to have some keywords... In, in say, the comments field that, as I said, you could do it in a smart playlist so you could browse them. I like to have some keywords. So if I want some, I'm going to just use the word modern, okay? Modern, classical, avant-garde, all that stuff. If I want some modern music, I can look in here. Have I listened to this Terry Riley record in the past couple years? What about all these John Cage things that, you know, I listen to certain ones often and others not very often? I, I often choose music to listen to by the type of music I want to hear. It's not that I want to listen to this album, this artist, this composer. Sometimes I want to listen to Beethoven's string quartets. Sometimes I want to listen to his piano sonatas. They're very different for me. They're both Beethoven and they're contemporaneous, but the feel of the music is different. Mm -hmm. And you want to be able to get, grab that stuff fast. And it's not, see, I don't listen to music like that. I listen to artist and album. It's, that's why yeah. none of the genres make any sense. Or they make sense to me but I don't use them. It's like, I know I want to listen to an album and I know where to find it. And it's right there. Well, I've got 34 genres in my library, although a couple of them are, one is spoken words, so this is audiobooks, and one is voice memo because voice memos used to be in the iTunes app under voice memo genre. And I have a shakuhachi genre because I have 36 shakuhachi recordings because, you know, it's an instrument I like. So I split it out into its own genre because otherwise it's not classical. It's not, you, you could technically put it in folk as it's world music-ish, but 
you know, you, yeah. yeah. See, you're I'm, already subdividing it. You're already saying it's folk, it's world music. It's like you're already no. If, to... if you were limited to four genres, you would put it in the folk. Oh yes, I see. Yes, right. Yep. Absolutely. Maybe that radio station a few years later would have had a world music genre as well, which would include. You know what they? You know what they added? I'll tell you what they added: a hip hop genre. Yeah. Okay. Because that's very different from all of those other things. Yeah. But this probably wouldn't have been a radio station that would play world music. Because world music would include reggae, Indian music, Japanese music, Korean music, which now K-pop, right? right? Yep, yep. I find it interesting that if you browse Apple Music, so if you click on the browse button in the sidebar, scroll down all the way to the bottom to browse by category, there are... I'm guessing there's 100 categories now. At some point, there were 20 or 30 when they called them genres. Now they call them categories. And you get things like commuting. That's a category, music for commuting. You get Deutsch pop and Deutsch rap. You get devotional, which is not Christian because Christian is another genre. You get J-rock and K-pop and feel good and MPB and worldwide and feeling blue. See, they're, they're, they're starting to change the categories into moods, which is, which is wrong. Yeah, it is wrong. Right? It is wrong. But, you know, it's, in, it's an interesting development, though, you will allow. Um, yeah. But, uh, you know, rather than defining the piece of music as you know, how it was constructed or in what era or something like that, it's the, how it makes you feel. And that's, uh, that's a very subjective thing. Yeah. There's one category for African music, one category for an entire continent. Oh, my goodness. And there's a vast difference between Moroccan rap and, you know, Kenyan, Nigerian, Felakuti type, what do they call it, high life? South African disco. Yeah. I mean, anything. I mean, come on. It's a huge continent. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but why do they have Turkish folk music and why does it come in between G and H? <laughs> it, it must be something, the spelling of... That term in Turkish or something that puts it in because it is alphabetical otherwise. I don't know. The problem is, and I mentioned this before, when we talked about the Apple Music radio station, you know, your personal radio station. And since my tastes are so varied, sometimes it'll play rock. Sometimes it'll play jazz. Sometimes it'll play shakuhachi music. Sometimes it'll play classical. It doesn't very often play that sort of avant-garde John Cage, Morton Feldman stuff very much, though, which is odd. But that could be because a lot of the pieces are very long. And I think the radio probably wouldn't want to put a 30-minute piece on. I've, I've always wished I could have a half a dozen personal radio stations. Yeah, that would be nice. See, and so that's kind of, I guess that's kind of the, the distillation of what I'm talking about here. When I'm in the mood to hear jazz, jazz, that's fine. Okay, lots of types of jazz. When I want to hear rock, I kind of know what I'm going to get. But there's other things where I might want something different. And with Apple Music, you only get that one station. Yes, you can create one per artist, composer, song, album, et cetera, et cetera. But that doesn't work right. It's not, it's not music that I've chosen very much. What does genius do for you when you pick something like um, John Cage is a seed. Let us see if I go into because I find uh, genius to be eh, a fun thing to use, and the fact that you can make it twenty-five songs, fifty songs, a hundred songs is—it's sort of like your own playlist. Well, I'm clicking on—I'm in Songs View in the column browser. I'm clicking on a few tracks. Ah, here's one that comes up with genius suggestions: Charles Ives, Charles Ives, Sigur Ross, a couple of. 
things in Icelandic, but most of the things that I'm picking don't show genius suggestions because, you know, it, they have to have possible suggestions. Here's another one on an album of music for prepared piano, and it's putting in things by, again, some Charles Ives, but also like some of these modern Icelandic composers, and that kind of makes sense. That's a, a similar feel. But the number of pieces that offer genius suggestions is very limited. Huh, that's interesting. So maybe it doesn't have enough information to create... Well, it doesn't know them well enough, right? Something like that. If I look at Philip Glass, that's interesting. Not much coming up for Philip Glass. If I go to Glassworks, that's a well-known album. You know, it's pretty much the same tracks that are coming up between John Cage and the Philip Glass and genius suggestions. It's almost exactly the same. So there's not a lot of variety here. Yeah, it works with pop music. It works with more no, better pop-oriented because there's more there's more interesting variables. They use the year. They use the genre. They use the— Well, I, the, I think initially what Genius did is they took data that they collected from everyone's library, and they said, if you have these two tracks in your library, someone else who has these two tracks in their library, what's the third track they have? So they were trying to find that, you know, big data comparisons of people who have this in their library also have that. So we're going to suggest that. But obviously, we're only suggesting what's in your library, right? It's not, this isn't the same as Apple Music suggestions. In fact, Genius, while Genius works with Apple Music tracks, it doesn't suggest everything from Apple Music. It only suggests what's in your library. Whereas if you make a radio station from a track, then you're going to get stuff that goes together, which is based on all of Apple Music. Hopefully. Well, yeah, it'll, it'll prioritize what's in your library because you will hear things you have, but you will hear a lot of other stuff as well. It's funny. I think we've talked about this before. On each different device I have, I have a different, it feels like it's a different radio station, just slightly See, different. See, that doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense mm. because it's your account. It's not the device. I know. I don't understand it. One is more blues-oriented. Another one is definitely more rock-oriented. It's very strange. Now, maybe if I let them all go for a really long time, they would eventually equalize out and be very similar. That's what I always think. Okay, we're going to take a break here because Doug's going to pick up his iPhone and he's going to look at a setting. So I asked Doug to check in settings music to see if use listening history was on, and he says it's on everywhere. Because if it wasn't, I would think that each individual device is going to keep what it's been playing and not share it with the overall library. But if it is on, then it's, then it's telling Apple Music what you've listened to to help you refine your settings. If you are listening to very specific things on one device and you turn that off, my understanding is that information won't be used to recommend music from Apple Music. I think that's how it works. Anyway, the, the thing is, we've talked about another one of these problems to which there is not a solution. And so we can't give anyone any tips, but I'm sure there are some people listening who remember when they reorganized their LP library by genre, and then they did it alphabetically, then they did it by year, and then, you know, all the different ways you could do it. How else could you do it? By well, color of the you album? you do it by album name. That would be crazy, but you could do that. Yeah. And now the other thing you do when call, now the other thing I was thinking about when you call your library, you actually have a lot of physical media. What do you do with that? You resell a lot of your box sets and things like that, right? Over time, I resell, but I've got shelves upstairs still full of CDs. There's just so many. And there's tons of CDs I haven't ripped in some of the big classical box sets. 
So it's, and, and, you know, I have bought a lot of downloads, not specifically from iTunes necessarily, but from other places. Do you remember e-music back in the day? Yes. Where you yeah. could download all you wanted every month or something, or yeah, 100 tracks they, a month for a while? But they didn't have every... Uh, oh, no, it was limited. Yeah. But, but you could download a lot of stuff. Yeah. And... So and and record labels that I know have given me downloads as well over the years. So sure. I have quite a lot of music that is not necessarily music I would have bought and not necessarily music I've listened to a lot, if even once, for some of them. Yeah. Okay. How about what I've been listening to lately? What have you been listening to lately? I've been listening to a John Cage record. Well, that's what you said. I yes, because <laughs> I have been reading this biography of John Cage. I'll put a link in the show notes. It's called Where the Heart Beats. It's essentially a biography of John Cage and his introduction to Zen Buddhism. It pretty much stops in the 1960s. It doesn't go beyond, and Cage uh, died in the early 90s. But it's, it's, it's a lot about his early life and then his meeting with D.T. Suzuki, who had presented Zen Buddhism to the United States, and how it influenced him. And so one of the recordings I've listened to is... There's a small label called Mode Records. I'll link in the show notes. We had the founder, Brian Brant, on a couple of years ago. He met John Cage one day and he said, well, I think, I think the story was that John Cage said not, not many people want to record his stuff. And he said, what if I did it? And so he founded the label to record John Cage's works. And I think the John Cage edition is up to number 57 by now. And so one of the recordings he has, which was volume... I can't see what volume. It's the piano works too. It's the sonatas and interludes for prepared piano. Cage pretty much invented the prepared piano, which is you put screws and paper clips and stuff on the strings to make them to make the piano a percussion instrument. Piano is technically a tuned percussion instrument, but this makes it more percussive. And he wrote these 19 tracks. No, there must be 20 because 14 and 15 are in one track. So sonatas and interludes. And they're wonderful little pieces there from about two to five minutes long. And it, this is early Cage before he discovered using chance operations to make music. So they are structured like normal music, but they're these little ditties and, and they have this wonderful sound. And I realized the other night when I was reading this book and I was listening to this record, I was thinking, you know, I'm going to put this on in shuffle mode. If John Cage had been alive when the iPod was invented, he would have composed things to be played in shuffle mode. Instead of listening to it in the normal way, Sonata 1, Sonata 2, etc., I put it on in shuffle, and you get the interesting juxtapositions that come out that way. Every time you play it, it's going to be different, which is totally Cagean. This is the Works for Piano 2 Sonatas and Interludes for Prepared Piano by Philip Vendre, I believe. Doug, what have you got? I like that. It's pretty clever doing the shuffle John Cage. With. Anyway, uh, <clears throat> occasionally my daughter will send me uh, links to songs that she thinks will stump me that I haven't heard before, but that I'll like or something like that. And she sent me one recently from a band I haven't listened to in a really long time. The Dickies from 1979. The Dickies were a punk pop band from the uh, from the West Coast. I forget exactly where they're definitely from california and they did funny songs and they're the sort of they call them punk bands and whenever i whenever i think of like this sort of punk band i think of a bunch of nerdy kids who hear the ramones and go hey we can do that but they don't know how to write serious words because they're geeky and nerdy so they write joke songs and that's what the dickies did 
the Dickies wrote funny songs. And one of my favorite, the, the, the song that my daughter sent me was a song called Manny, Moe, and Jack. Now, if you know anything about American culture, you know who Manny, Moe, and Jack are. They are the Pep Boys. And the Pep Boys is an automotive uh, department store, chain automotive department store. And Manny, Moe, and Jack were in all the commercials. They're cartoon characters. And this band wrote a song praising Manny, Moe, and Jack. It's a really funny song. Um, you may also know the Dickies from doing uh, their their famous speed version of Knights in White Satin, which is also from this first album. Uh, it's called Dawn of the Dickies. But the thing is, in 1979, after they recorded Dawn of the Dickies, then they recorded um, their second album immediately afterwards, which is called uh, The Incredible Shrinking Dickies, which is... Which is more stupid songs, more punky pop stuff. But it's, they're really one of the first early punk pop bands. Yeah, and they're funny, kind of, but not funny like uh, the Ramones are funny. And not funny like the way, uh, I don't know, uh, the Dead Kennedys are funny. They're funny because they just write stupid songs. Uh, they're like the Rizzillos were. But anyway... This this is a lot of fun to go back to and listen to because I hadn't heard them in years. The Dickies, Dawn of the Dickies is my next track. This was episode number 223 of the next track. Thanks for listening. You can start or join a conversation in the comments section of this episode's show page at our website. You'll also find links to some of the things we talked about in the show notes for this episode. Just visit thenexttrack.com. You can follow us on Twitter at nexttrackcast. And don't forget you can support The Next Track by making regular donations via Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash thenexttrack. I'm Doug Adams, and for Kirk McElhern, thanks again. We'll talk to you next time. <laughs>